Hello and welcome to Unprofessional. I am Dave Wiskus and I'm joined by Lex Friedman. Hi, Dave. Hi, Lex. And our very special guest today, Mr. Brent Simmons. Hi, Dave. Hi, Lex. Hi. You know, uh, Dave, right off the bat, I want to say, when we did uh, our show with Amy Jane Gruber, I said that she was a very, very special guest. You said Brent is a very special guest. Are you implying in any way that Brent is less special a guest than Amy? It, it, it depends entirely on how you define special. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> and that's, that's all I'm going to say uh, about that. Uh, and, and I don't mind, you know, just one very is fine or however that worked out. Incredibly special good. Brent Simmons. Oh, that's pretty mm. good. That's pretty good. Yeah. Now, Brent, I would just say, I, I think that uh, certainly Dave and I know who you are, and we know the many impressive things you've accomplished. But I would love, before we dive into what makes you awesome, uh, if you could tell us about all the things you've done that are awesome, that, that people might know you for or from. All right. Let's see. Um, back in the, I guess, Paleolithic <laughs> mid-90s, uh, I became somewhat known for working on really, really awesome stuff when I was at Userland Software. I worked for Dave Weiner, a very small company. I think at our height, we were six people, uh, including one Robert Scoble at our at our height. You worked with Scoble? Yeah, I did for about six months. Uh, most known probably for Net Newswire, which came out in 2002, and that was an RSS reader. Later, I did a blog editor called Mars Edit, so, which... You know, these are the exact kind of things I did in the 90s, only now I was doing Cocoa apps and uh, charging money for them. That must have been fun. It was very fun. I've, I've had a great career. I've been working on the problems that I care about, and it's, it's totally been a blast. How uh, many feeds do you subscribe to in NetNewsWire now? Not, not as many as you might think. Uh, it's probably around 100. I could even, I could even check. 108. I want to keep talking about software just long enough for Lex to get fired. I just got fired. <laughs> I just got word I've been fired for talking about technology. There we go. There oh, my go. God. Okay, you can edit all this out. You can, um, <laughs> how about I say I'm most known for phew, my stamp something non-technology. <laughs> I'm, I'm a great philatelist. Yeah. Really, Philately really will get awesome. you nowhere. <laughs> so, Brent, uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick this off with uh, an obvious question. I know you, uh, I've, I've hung out with you. I've been in Seattle, your hometown, uh, and we've ridden around in taxis because you Mm -hmm. don't drive. Yeah, I don't drive. I don't drive. And there, there's some good reasons for that. It's, it's freakish. I'm 44 years old, by the way. It's not like I'm 15. Uh, I don't drive. And partly it's because whenever I leave the house, I'm probably going to a bar. Is that, is that because you have a drinking problem or because you don't leave the house very often? I don't leave the house very often, okay. actually, at all. <laughs> um, you know, what, what, what's out there? I don't know. Drinks. Not that much. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you, have, you've, you never learned to drive a car? I took driver's ed when I was okay. 16. Um, and before I actually got my license, I got in a, a minor accident. Very, very minor. Extremely minor parking lot thing all of five miles an hour how but many fatalities no, no actual fatalities um other, but, other than your driving future apparently yeah, yeah i you know but the the reason the reason i don't have a license yet is it's it's a story of like having something on my to-do list for decades and just not quite getting around to it you know my 
teenagerhood years were extremely turbulent and I didn't really get the support from my parents. And then by the time I was in college, I, I didn't have any money. And that persisted for, I don't know, five years or so outside of college. Couldn't afford a car. But then I lived downtown Seattle anyway and didn't need a car. Wherever I wanted to go, I could walk or take a bus. And then once I started to have money, well, it was because I was working at a startup and I was working crazy, crazy hours for a long time. And we had enough money to get a car. We got a car. Sheila drives a car. And so affording cars, no problem. But I just didn't really have time to do it for a while. So I just put it on the back burner. And now, um, 15 years later, it's just been on the back burner all this time. Do you think you'll ever get around to it? I'd like to, but I say that to myself every spring. I think, you know, the weather's turning nice. Maybe I should learn how to drive a car. And I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Now, if there were some kind of emergency, you, you, mm-hmm. your family owns a car, right? Yeah, yeah, we have a car. Nice so, 2002 gold Ford Focus, leather if there, interior. If there were an emergency, and let's say it's also the end of the world, so there's nobody else around to drive, but you, you knew that you had to get from point A to point B, and driving would be the best way to do it, and you were the only driver available, do you feel like you could hop in the car and make it go and steer it to the right place? No, no, I don't think I could get wow. it out of the garage. Yeah. Do you think that if Apple were to hold a developer conference where one of the sessions was about how to drive a car, that you would stay awake through the whole session? No, not a chance. <laughs> That's a problem. Oh, my God. I am just about incapable of staying awake in a room where somebody's up front talking. I found that it helps if I stand. You sort of famously or, or, or infamously... Uh, uh don't do a lot of sessions at conferences, which uh, whenever you show up for mine, I'm always very flattered. And and I've even managed to mostly stay awake through some of yours. <laughs> now, what, you work at home, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Do you do you work with a normal seated desk setup like a normal person? Oh god. Oh sure, yeah. I have a, a very nice, very nice swiveling chair, and uh, I have I have massive massive desk space. I have three giant. Boeing surplus desks arranged in a, in a U and Holy shit. they're sturdy enough that if there's an earthquake, this is actually what we'd hide under. I mean, they're, they're incredible. Wow. They're like cold war era furniture that would, you know, su- survive a bomb blast. That's awesome. Yeah. And you, and you sit in your chair. chair. And I sit in my chair. <laughs> right. yeah. D- Dave O godded me because I was going to say that I, you know, I work at a treadmill desk. I just, I just didn't know if you were saying that you had trouble staying awake when somebody's talking and you were seated. I didn't know if that meant that you worked standing up or. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that's weird. Really, no, you work at a treadmill. I, people, I, I can't. The truth your standing is, desk, your treadmill desk. I, I don't understand it. We get cultish about it. But the truth is, when I look at it objectively and I say, you know, I work at a treadmill desk, I think it sounds hilarious and ridiculous and like something I never imagined myself saying. But I believe that within 10 years, it will be not the norm that everyone does it, but the norm that you'll have treadmill desks in every major office. You know, they should, uh, in 10 years, they should have treadmill desks inside all of the self driving cars. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good idea. So, what I do is every afternoon, I put on my jogging shoes and crap and go for a damn run and then come back and sit down. Oh, I don't run. I, See, I keep it leisurely. Yeah. What I, I like that. That's actually like the one way I get out of the house regularly is just to run around the neighborhood in the sunshine, which I love doing and love to just get away from, you know, the work and all that and go see what I see mountains and water and 
butterflies and things. Are you, are you <laughs> in the water right now? Is that what I'm hearing in the background? <laughs> no, that's a float plane buzzing my house. Sorry nice. about that. Yeah. You, you obviously you're your own boss. Essentially, you work from home. Mm-hmm. Do you do you do the normal? Do you give yourself normal working hours, and then you take the little afternoon jogging break? Is that how it works? Um, I try. I get in the office around nine or ten usually. Um, sometimes maybe a little later, rarely earlier. And so, if I take a go for a run in the afternoon, I usually work for a bit after dinner. And depending on how desperate things are, sometimes I work a lot after dinner. But, yeah, that's okay. Right after selling that newswire to Black Pixel, I went about six months where I was getting nine and a half hours of sleep every night. And it felt great. Lex is jealous because he, uh, he doesn't stay up past 8.30. No, that's not true. I have a, I have a pretty firm bedtime for myself around 11. Um, hmm. And, you know, sometimes it'll be, you know, usually I try to get upstairs by, uh, so that I can be starting the bedtime process so that I'm actually in the bed by 11. But although that's always my goal, it usually ends up that I'm not actually in bed until around 11, 10, 11, 15. And then no matter what I'm doing at 1130, I put it down and actually go to sleep. So whether it's a book or iPad or whatever, it's, it's done at 1130. And I tend to fall asleep in about 30 to 45 seconds, which I never did my whole life. But once I had kids, it all changed and I'm exhausted at the end of every day. And I fall mostly because they wake us up very early. Oh, right. And, um, so I fall right asleep. Fucking nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, see, having kids, you can't really do, like, I do this thing every morning. I wake up at, you know, whatever time I wake up, and then I lay there, and I'm staring at my phone for, like, an hour. Like, I'm reading email, checking Twitter. Before I, I wow. even get out of bed, I've got to do all these things, and then I can get up. Well, see, I do the same thing. I just do it with kids climbing all over me. I keep my phone in my office, which is as far away from my bed as possible. That's a good idea. Well, my, mine's my alarm. Oh, yeah, I have I've some digital alarm clock thingy. Now, is that by so you're making then obviously a, a deliberate choice, Brent, to say you do not want the internet harassing you before you go to sleep or first thing in the morning when you wake up? Yeah, that's exactly right. The internet's where I work, and you know I don't want that in my bedroom. Is that really how you feel about it? That the internet's where you work? Because for me, I think about the internet's where I work, and then also where I play. Like one of the things that I like about working online all day, especially with the kind of job that I have where we have to sort of be plugged into what's going on online. Mm-hmm. I, I like that I can read stuff for entertainment and talk to people who I enjoy talking to and also get all my work done. I, so I, I don't think, I think of my office as the workspace and then the rest of the house is not, but I don't think of the internet as my workspace. Well, my work is pretty playful, you know, like what we're doing right now is not like hard, you know, work or anything but i do consider it part of my work i don't want to take you guys to bed with me basically (laughs) i'm a little disappointed well the whole point of this podcast is now ruined because that was basically my one goal (laughs) not that you wouldn't have a good time but still you mentioned that um in terms of not driving Mm -hmm. that uh part of it came from a a uh, a childhood that was maybe less than supportive well yes well i came from a broken home. My parents were 20 when I was born, so I forgive them for all this. They were amazingly young. I came from a, a broken home, lived with my dad, who got remarried. The, the new family, um, were n- the, the stepmom was not someone I particularly cared for, and the feeling was mutual. And so there was, there was a ton of problems. Uh, eventually, I ended up getting kicked out of the house right, after, right 
a few hours after New Year's Eve of 1986. And I actually went and slept outside in the, we lived in the forest, slept out in the snow in my trench coat for a few hours, which was interesting because I actually did manage to sleep for you a few hours. lived in the forest? Yeah, we lived in, you know, a, a development basically, but like extremely wooded development. Oh, and behind oh, like, our house okay. was forest. Yeah, I thought you yeah. meant like and, you lived in the forest, like an elf. Yeah, like Hansel and Gretel or something okay. like that. Yeah. Um, so I, I slept nestled between two boulders, um, which is actually true. <laughs> that's that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, with snow on the ground and everything. And did you? Did, was there a blanket or a pillow involved? I had a really nice navy blue trench coat with uh, epaulets and Holy stuff crap. and. Yeah, I have pretty warm. I don't mean I, I. I need even in the summer. I need a blanket to sleep. If there's not a blanket over me, I'm I'm unhappy. I mean, I can mm-hmm. like you said, I could use a trench coat or something. I could use any device as a blanket. But even with a blanket, I'm a, I'm a pillow guy. If I don't have a pillow, then sleep isn't happening at all. Yeah, I'm with. You. Oh, I sure. love my pillow. I had snow. I just I'm <laughs> sure I just mounted up some leaves and snow, and it was fine. I can survive with one pillow, but uh, when I'm at home, if I'm sleeping in my own bed, then I need like. One pillow for my head, one pillow for me to like lean against, one pillow like up against my. I need to be surrounded by pillows. Hmm. That probably says something about me. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, that is true. That's weird, like a treadmill desk. I want to yeah. sleep under a mountain of pillows. <laughs> Dave, when you go to the dentist, you know, and they they do the X-rays. Do you like it when they put that big lead bib on I on you? I I don't know if I like it. I don't I don't dislike it. Doesn't bother uh, me. Okay. I I what I do at the dentist when that happens is I try to curve as much of my body underneath that thing as possible because I'm so terrified of what weird things I'm going to have developed <laughs> from that space. So I'm like uh, squeezing my shoulder blades in and I keep both my hands under it too. I just want as much body underneath that thing as I can get. Yeah, God forbid you wouldn't be able to have any more kids. <laughs> no, no. I don't. Have well, a, he'd I have more. They'd just be yet. monsters. It's yeah, exactly. I don't want mutant children. Is really what it is. Freed monsters. <laughs> so you're living you're living on the forest eating bugs with no pillow. Yeah, for a few hours. Nor do you have a pillow. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't lifestyle. It was, it was just like a, you know, a little while. But I do um I I just like to remember that as, you know, that was kind of a nice spot in life that I can was, return to in my brain. Was it the end of your troubles? Did you did you reform after that? Was everything better? No, no, but things were a lot better because I was kicked out of the house. That was a very bad place. <laughs> that sounds like a great improvement. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, then I went and I lived up the street at a friend's house for a few weeks, graduated high school, then moved out to Seattle where I've been happy ever since. When you moved out to the friend's house, mm-hmm. do you, does everybody know? Like that is, do your parents know that I'm going to go live at the friend's house? Do the friend's family know I've been kicked out of my house since that's why I'm coming to live here? Yeah, it sounds really awkward, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it sounds unbelievable. It sounds fictitious. I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying that I think you're lying. I'm just saying it's it sounds like a uh, you know a novel or a TV show versus a reality. I was going to say a TV sitcom. To to make this even more fictitious, uh, that friend uh, is now my brother-in-law. <laughs> and making the, shit up. The father of my very awesome five-year-old nephew. Now, do the okay. There's a lot to unpack here now. So. <laughs> You've been kicked out of the home. Yes. Your friend's family, future brother-in-law's family, mm-hmm. uh, welcomes you in. Yes. Is there a conversation between those parents and your parents about why Brent is being evicted from his home and the fact that they're going to welcome him in? Or 
is is it just accepted and nobody talks about it? Yeah, I don't know if they talked to my dad or not. Um, they may not have. Uh, they knew why I was kicked out out of the house, and you know they were very much like, "Well, okay, you can stay here." And that was one of the nicest things anybody's ever done for me. I, that was fantastic. Do we know so, why you were kicked out of the house? Well, uh, I'll tell you, it wasn't it wasn't a big thing. It was just that it was you know murder. <laughs> Not a big thing, as I say. It was just, you know, one one final straw for my dad, I think. Um, it was New Year's Eve, and we were going to go to a party. That party fell through. Uh, so I had, you know, five or six people over to the house. We were just in the basement drinking cheap beer. But I had promised not to have people over, which I, a promise I intended to keep because we were going to go to some other party. But um, when that fell through, you know, I'm like, hey, let's go back to my place. You know, my dad wasn't supposed to get home till 2 a.m., so I figured we had some time. Well, he got home early, and mm. there I was with a few people in the basement. And you know. did he did he crash the party? Like that? Is, I don't mean that in a fun. Did he like end the party prematurely, saying everybody? Oh get yeah, out? he yeah exactly. He came down very upset, and everybody uh, ran out the uh, the door of the the basement and scattered to the wind. You know, I got to drinking extremely late. I barely did any underage drinking at all. Oh, um, he just had his first drink about a week ago. Yeah, no, but so I, I would go to parties because that's where my friends were, and I would just not really drink. And I remember my friend Adam had this party at his house, and it was the first party he had hosted at his home because his parents were away for the weekend, and it was you know the perfect childhood experience, and it was the, the right setup. So he hosts this thing, and it is massive. I mean, he lived in a small house, and it was filled with. You know, hundreds of adolescents drinking and trying to find people to make out with and all the things you'd expect to see. And um, and then me, you know, with a Diet Coke, um, wishing that iPhones had been invented. And mm-hmm. so his parents have, in the you know, that perfect scenario, they've cut short their vacation. Mm-hmm. They've come home early and they walk in and I'm just in the front area. So I see his mom walk in and she immediately, you know, can take in what's happening. Yeah. And she's so disappointed. And people see adults. They don't even know. They have no idea. Most people don't really know Adam or certainly not his family. I'm friends with him. I've seen his mom, you know, dozens of times. But everybody who starts to see adults in the room starts streaming out the door. And yeah. It was, you know, he didn't really get in trouble because they had no control over Adam anyway. But then fast forward to a couple years later, you know, he has clearly learned no lesson and he hosts another party. This time his parents don't come home prematurely. But at this point, this is now I'm a senior in high school and I I am drinking and I'm bemoaning the fact that another girl at the party uh, has never loved me. A girl after whom I have lusted for years and she has just never loved me. And so I'm drunk and crying upstairs. Why didn't she ever love me? And she's downstairs clearly hearing everything I'm saying. Um, but she <laughs> it, it didn't work. She still didn't love me. Um, really? Even after the crying? I know. And getting I cried drunk, and I was drunk for her. It didn't Diana, make her what's your love problem? you? That, so, that move doesn't work for me either. Yeah. Huh. But so, no, I, I've cried to Dave and he still won't love me either. But yeah. uh, I, um, I, I realized at some point, no, I, I still had an early curfew. It was probably midnight. Uh, I realized I am not going to, I did not stop drinking early enough and I'm not going to be able to drive home and this is going to be problematic. So... Diana, the same girl in question about whom I've been drinking and crying, agrees that she'll drive me home and then a friend will drive my car, except the friend's not comfortable driving my car. So Diana ends up driving my car with me in it and then her friend drives her car and I have to go home and I have to go home and seem sober. And I go up 
I, I, the first thing, my parents always had the burglar alarm on. So you had to go home. The burglar alarm was right mm-hmm. over their heads in their room and also right by the front door. So you would turn it off, but of course it would wake them up because it's right over their heads in their room. And you have to go in and say goodnight. So I was rehearsing with Diana, who, to her credit, did not mention all the crying and the fact that she didn't love me and I wanted her to. Uh, but I'm rehearsing with her in the car right home what I'm going to say. And so I go in and my parents immediately go off script. And um, <laughs> they're, supposed to, they're supposed to say, you know, where were you and, and did you have a good time? But they they start and they're like, um, we're going to go to do whatever tomorrow morning. Will you be ready by nine? And so I'm trying to stick to the old script, but it's really not working. And so I got out of there and that was fine. And then I go see my sister who was using the, the Quadra 610 in the family room. Uh, that's a Mac, by the way. And... Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm trying to I'm trying to communicate to her that I'm drunk without saying it because that way somehow I think that it won't be as bad and so I'm miming various alcohol and imbib- imbibing processes and that was the first time my sister knew I drank she was older and that was the first time that she knew that I drank and she was really unhappy with me and it was great. Uh, my first drunk experience uh I I was way older than I should have been. I think I was like 21, 22 and I had had alcohol before but I'd never been drunk. And I was at this party and I hit a point where I realize I'm a little messed up. Like I'm beyond just a little tipsy or whatever. This is, this is uncharted territory for me. And it's a party at somebody's house and I'm upstairs in the main area. And I realize, uh, like after all this drinking, I really have to go to the bathroom. And the nearest bathroom was downstairs in the basement for some reason. And I had it in my head, like, Oh my God, how am I going to make it down the stairs? <laughs> Like I was so, I was so freaked out about how am I going to get down there? And then, then it occurred to me, oh God, am I going to be able to do this? Like functionally, am I going to be able to, to go to the restroom and not just piss all over the bathroom and all over myself? And it, it became, there was so much anxiety about this that I, I begin to like shake cause I'm drunk and I'm stupid and I don't know what, what's going on with, with my own body. And I finally, I calm myself down. I'm like, I have to do this. Or I'm going to wet myself. <laughs> so I, I walk down the stairs and I, I go into the, the bathroom and I'm focused. I'm as focused as I can possibly be in that moment. All of my energy is in like, do not piss all over everything. And everything, everything goes fine. Everything works out the, the way that you'd want it to. And I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm so proud of myself. And I go over to wash my hands and I turn the, the faucet on. And it was a little overzealous. And the water splashes out all over my crotch. <laughs> I've had that happen to me in recent years, even at, at, at random bars. Like, God, Jesus, fuck. <laughs> well, I made the mistake of telling a couple of very close friends, like, I'm a little worried about this. What if I piss all over myself? Mm-hmm. And so when I come mm-hmm. back upstairs with you know, my crotch all wet. They laughed, I hope. Uh, I, I tried to like strategically untuck my shirt or something. You know, I was just thinking, I'm just remembering, you know, my very, the very first time I drank was with that same guy, Adam, but I told him, you know, if it's going to be my first drinking experience, Adam uh, loved you, even if Diane didn't. Exactly. (laughs) Bitch. Um, but, uh, you know, I wanted it to be in a, in a controlled and safe environment. So it was just me and Adam at his place. And I, I was, yeah, it it was beautiful. And, but I was big on, um, he was your first, I I was big on, uh, it sounds like an acid trip. We were at a controlled, safe environment. I, I, I wanted something that was going to taste good. And I knew that, you know, I thought beer was gross and I got over that by the way. But so we got a bottle of aftershock. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. I don't know if it's still even made, but it came in two flavors, red and blue. And we got the red. <laughs> it's basically the same as Listerine. 
Mm. You know, it was, it was a very. You threw up s- later, didn't you? No, there is no puking in the story. But it was. Oh, it was God. It's a, it's a red cinnamony drink, spicy cinnamony drink. I have no idea what the actual alcohol in it is, uh, mm. and at the bottom is is alcohol in saturated rock candy, basically. Um, so we, the two of us are drinking the bottle. It's just meant to be, you know, drunk straight. And we're going through this very large bottle, much too large for the two of us. And as we're progressing through the bottle, you know, sometimes things get easier to drink, but this, the, the cinnamon taste was just overwhelming at some point after the maybe two thirds point. So we started watering it down, which you were not supposed to do. It just made it horrible, but we wanted to make sure I was really intoxicated when we knew that <laughs> I was I'm sure that like watering down your drink. We've got this, <laughs> we've got this rock candy and it's in this glass bottle. It's at the bottom and we, I'm like, Adam, how do you get it out? I want that rock candy. I, I mean, I was desperate for that rock That's candy. That's like the worm point. and the tequila, right? And he's like, don't worry, I got this. So we go outside and he takes the bottle and smashes it against some random body parked outside the house. Did I say body? Random car parked outside the house. Hmm. And... Um, uh, so then we're trying to figure out, we're st- from, we didn't take it back inside. So we're standing in the dark with broken glass and rock candy and you'd pick up pieces off the ground and try to figure out, was it glass <laughs> or was it rock candy? And then you it was great. <laughs> I lived. I'm amazed, but I did live. And thank God for that. <laughs> yeah. So not the beautiful experience you were hoping for. Well, I'll tell you the reason I asked about whether you puked was, uh, once I got drunk on Kool-Aid and rum, cherry Kool-Aid and rum. <laughs> And I was terrifically drunk. Now, that's that's a red-colored drink, right? Indeed. And some hours later, I was trying to fall asleep, couldn't, got up to puke. And, you know, I just puked red, right? But I was so drunk, I thought I was puking up massive amounts of blood. <laughs> and I must have been about 19 years old. And But I was so drunk that I just didn't care enough. I'm like, wow, I just really puked a whole lot of blood. And I'm just going to go lie down and see if I'm alive in the morning. And just kind of made my peace and uh, fell asleep. <laughs> made your peace. Well, you're going to go die now. Yeah, possibly. I was just awfully confused. And, you know, woke up in the morning a little surprised with a hangover. And rem- remembered, oh, God, I puked up all that blood. And then remembered, eh, you know, that would, that would be cherry Kool-Aid. Anyway, this is why drinking is fun. <laughs> this is why it's worth leaving the house for i get it now. <laughs> you hear that kids go drink you know what's really <laughs> i this probably just speaks more to my cheapness than anything else but the one thing i don't leave the house to do most of the time is drink because i don't like paying a premium for alcohol that i can get more affordably to have at home well the reason you go out to drink is to be around other people yes you've got like 15 other people in your house at all times so it's a little <laughs> different for you it's true I'm happy that in all of my drinking adventures, I've never managed to do anything that's gotten me into serious trouble. Well, I got arrested just the one time. Oh, my God. From before drinking? you tell that, <laughs> be- before you tell I us the story drinking, yeah. of how you got arrested, Dave, I feel like you have an important message from our sponsor. I do. I do have a very, very important message from our sponsor. This week's episode of Unprofessional is sponsored by AppFolk. AppFolk, they sell amazing customer support and wonderful documentation. But what you get when you hire AppFolk is time, and that's a precious commodity. And I want to give extra special thanks uh, to apt folks, Ash Ponders, for being our very first sponsor. Thank you, Ash. We love Ash. Ash rules. Everybody loves Ash. Uh, our, our mutual friend. I think, I think we're all friends with Ash. We all love Ash. I mean, I don't love him the same way I love my wife, but yes, I think he's good. But thanks for pointing that out because we weren't <laughs> sure. I just wanted to, I wanted to be clear because my wife listens to this show. Well, and Lex is known for his weird man crushes. So there's uh. that. <laughs> Uh-huh, I basically uh-huh. have a crush on everyone in the Apple community. Wow. 
I'm a simple man. But wait, I, I was waiting through the whole sponsor read to understand the story behind your arrest. And I know you started by saying you had been drinking. Yeah. I think probably Old English. I'm not positive. <laughs> was it a 40? Yeah, of course. Does it come in any other container? OE? <laughs> yeah, I think we had a couple 40s, right? Or it could have been, what was that, Special Dragon Midnight Reserve? Or one of those. I don't that know. Sounds awesome. Yeah, well, had alcohol in it. And we were up at, um, I had just turned 18 only a month or two ago, which is really not the time to get arrested because you'd really, really want to go to juvie, right? But no, I went to, you know, man jail. Wow. <laughs> That's that's what I call my bedroom. But yeah, that's <laughs> wow. So we were at the, me and a couple friends. Um, we were up at an abandoned school. We were at the playground, and the playground had a really beautiful view of the city at night, and yeah, you know, we could see the water and the skyline and all that kind of stuff. And for anyone who knows Magnolia in Seattle, uh, it used to be an abandoned school. Now it's actually used, I believe, on Twenty Eighth and. Geez, I don't know what the cross street is. 28th and something. Um, and so we were up there drinking. And then one of my friends had the bright idea of, oh, let's go inside the school and see what's in there. And I'm like, well, it's abandoned school. There's nothing in there. But he wanted to go in. And, you know, since we'd been drinking, we agreed to go in with him. And there really was nothing in there except for fire extinguishers. So my friend picked up a fire extinguisher and just began setting it off kind of randomly. Which, you know, eh, it's fun enough when you're drinking, I guess, to do something like that. But finally, we noticed looking out the window that it seemed like like daytime out there. And we didn't know, we didn't understand how it could be nighttime and then daytime so soon. Well, then we the looked old English little, wasn't helping. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't helping at all. We looked a little more closely and we saw it was daytime because there were like seven cop cars with all their lights and everything on out there. Then we realized, oh, we're probably in trouble. So we clambered out onto uh, a roof, uh, a not very steep part of the roof uh, in, out back, and just kind of tried to hide. Um, I don't know why we didn't just run away, but we didn't. We thought we could hide. And a couple minutes later, we hear a, a male voice. And that voice, I'll never forget, said, Don't move. Fifi doesn't like it when assholes move. <laughs> Fifi was, of course, the German shepherd that he had with him. Named Fifi. So we didn't move. And, you know, uh, one of my friends was underage and got to go to juvie. And the other two of us were overage and went to man jail downtown where, um, you know, we got we were arrested on burglary charges. God knows why there was anything to burgle and we were weren't actually stealing anything, but. That, that was the arrest charge. And wow. so I spent a couple nights uh, in jail downtown where I was... Now, were you... Were you had, had you already moved out at this point? I was living with my mom at this point. Yeah, living in Seattle. Yep. Okay. And she's not coming to bail you out? Well, I didn't even call her. She <laughs> did uh, come to bail me out. I, I just... I didn't know what to do. I was in jail. And I didn't call her, didn't do anything. Would you think you were just going to hang out there for a while, see what happens? You know, it took me a couple days to kind of like think the situation through, I guess. I I don't know, really. I was so long ago and I was was a child. I have no idea what I was thinking. Would she have been, I mean, surprised, concerned, something that you didn't come home? (laughs) 
Yeah, it's, there there would be nights I could have been at my girlfriend's house or something like that. Yeah, I didn't always communicate my whereabouts all that reliably. So wow. what did you what did you do to kill time in jail? Said well, a couple I read, of nights. You made wine, I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> did you shiv anybody? Mostly, I read. There was a surprisingly good collection of books. I, the thing I remember reading was "Cat on a Hot Tin Roof." I'd never read that before. That was really cool. Do you feel um, like you gravitated towards that tile because of the roof connection? You'd been hiding on a roof and it talked about a roof? Yeah, I never thought about that till now. No, I think I gravitated toward it because it was, uh, I think Elizabeth Taylor was on the cover. For our, for our younger listeners, she used to be hot. <laughs> oh, yes. Back in those days, Maggie the Cat. Oh, heck yeah. Totally. Yeah. So um, that was a good play. I really enjoyed it. So t- tell us, what, what was, I mean, walk me through this. What is life like for uh, Brent Simmons in jail? Well, what's amazing, what I discovered, what I was surprised to discover was that there was a whole like capitalist system set up in jail. And so um, I, uh, I was a smoker in those days and I had all my belongings taken, of course, and I was issued an orange jumpsuit. So I didn't have any cigarettes. I wanted some cigarettes. And so I had to trade away my sausages and eggs and orange juice, you know, um, bits of food that you would come because they would feed us a few times a day. So I'd say, yeah, okay, I'll give you my sausages for, you know, a cigarette now. Because if you, if you had been in jail long enough, you get to go down to, I don't know, there's some kind of store or something where you can buy like, you know, drum tobacco and rolling papers or whatever. So, uh, you know, I traded away most all my food for cigarettes. And, you know, in those days, they didn't care about the health of the inmates. So we, you know, we could actually just smoke in the cell and all that kind of stuff. And the cell was meant to hold like nine people, but it had like 30. It was terrifically overcrowded. Uh, the people who'd been there a long, longer time were a little luckier and they had kind of nice cots, but the rest of us just slept on like these little pads that they gave us uh, on the concrete floor. Now at this stage, I know that you were young and it was a long time ago now, but like, does it feel like, you know, in your mind, like, well, this is the next phase of my life. Like now, uh, now I'm in jail. <laughs> Did it feel like mm-hmm. inevitable that this was something that was bound to happen and this was the next step of your life? Or was it totally crazy and mind blowing? And you're like, how did this happen? How did I end up here? Well, I got some really nice advice from the criminals in there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that I've carried with me to this day. Yeah. But, One, but seriously, faster next time, you know, they, you know, these were, I think largely pot dealers, I would ask people or they would volunteer and it was almost always, you know, uh, they got caught with possess possession of a lot, a lot of marijuana. And, you know, there were, there were a number of them who said, you know, Hey, you're still young. You don't need to, you don't need to keep coming back here. You know, you should do whatever it takes not to. And, you know, I didn't think that I was really going to be turning to a life of crime. After all, it was like a stupid whim to just enter an abandoned school and walk around for a few minutes and, you know, come out. That wasn't, it wasn't like I was going into burglary as a profession or something like that. Right. So, but you know, part of me thought, well, you know, the previous four years had been rather tumultuous. The previous, my teenage years had been, and I thought yeah, it could be that this is just how my life's going to go. And this is a natural progression. I'll spend a lot of time in jails and maybe even prison from here on out. Luckily that wasn't true so far 
Yeah, well, you... thinking about this, with you not getting out very much and you not driving and you working from home, it's it's not that far from being what your life turned into. And now, now you can have sausages and cigarettes if you're so inclined. <laughs> yeah, totally. Any anytime. Yeah. Is there, you know, so so mom bails you out of it. Somehow she finds out you're in jail. She bails you out. Yeah. Is there, are you ever convicted? Are you ever tried and convicted or are the charges dropped? How does that go? Sure. I got a, got a lawyer who um, got me a deal that the charges would be reduced to, um, I think it was trespassing and something trespassing like. And then the judge said, okay, we'll commute those for a year as long as you're good. And so, yeah, I didn't actually have to serve any additional time or pay any additional fees or anything like that because I was good for a year. And ever since, really. I've never been arrested, but I'm constantly paranoid that I'm going to end up arrested. Especially, I'm, I'm living in Europe right now, and I'm, I live in constant fear that I'm going to get thrown into some kind of crazy European prison and then I'm going to get deported. Yeah, it seems likely. You're not in Turkey. You're in Amsterdam. I think you're okay. So, uh, Dave, yeah, you were, you were in Paris recently. Yeah, I was in Paris over the weekend. Uh, and I learned uh-huh. uh, a few things. I learned that the, the Eiffel Tower is... Uh, way more beautiful in person than I've, I've ever could have imagined. I mean, they, they, oh, yeah. Hollywood romanticizes it and you've got this idea like, Oh, it's going to be this thing. And you get there and it's, it's way better. Yeah. Uh, it's so fucking great. I love it. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Uh, the Louvre was, was crazy. I, I spent, I don't know, like four hours there, which is nothing you could, I could, I could have spent a month there easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I learned that, uh, everything I'd ever heard about French people was more or less true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Good point. Yeah, the I think the time it took from me getting off the train to being yelled at by a guy in French for being American was roughly five minutes. I had a guy push me in a bar. Just come up and push me. You didn't get into a slap fight? <laughs> yes, please say yes with gloves. <laughs> <laughs> I slapped him. Across. No, I I uh, I thought about it. I thought about like you know, saying something or whatever, but I decided I shouldn't because I don't want to be deported and I don't want to end up in like a Parisian prison. I'm sure it's a very nice prison. I'm sure it's gorgeously designed, but I don't want to be there. Oh, God, if all they give you is bread, it's still excellent. (laughs) Mm. I did get Mm -hmm. to see a guy walking down the street carrying and eating a two-foot-long baguette. It bugs me in movies that whenever somebody's coming home from grocery shopping, they always have a giant French bread roll sticking out of their shopping bag at a jaunty angle. I don't like that. That's the universal movie sign for this person is coming home from shopping for food. You used to live in Paris, right? I used to live in, well, I used to live in Grenoble, which is uh, a bullet train ride from Paris. So I went to Paris a number of times when I, when I lived in France. Uh, it was the early 90s, which you know, it was 20 years ago uh, from now, but in many ways seems like a different, a different world. It's something I, I think about now and again. It, you know, Sheila and I were there. We had no computer, no internet access, no email, no cell phones. And we worked with a few Americans, but otherwise we're living in, you know, a French city that speaks largely French. And, and we only spoke a little bit of French and didn't even read French all that well. And that is a kind of, a, kind of um, a situation that I don't think can happen very easily anymore. You know, anybody from America who has the means to go to France or, or any other similar nation probably has the means to have a computer and internet access and cell phones and all those things. You know, they can easily uh, communicate with people all over the world and, you know, use the web to have enough stuff to read to keep themselves occupied. Um, In those days, that was, I think, the end of 
the era where if you are isolated geographically, you are really not home. You know, you are very far away from your people. Uh, we I, would call home occasionally, but it was a dollar a minute. So we didn't do it that much. I did it accidentally. I managed to get over there. I didn't have a data plan on my phone for France. And I didn't realize that would even be a thing. But I was traveling uh-huh. with a friend, and he had data. So we, we were just using the maps on, on his phone. We were doing, like, Google Translate on his phone. Uh, the last day, he got sick, like, midway through the day. And he's like, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm just going to have to go. I need to go lay down. He's like, but but feel free to, to go and explore the city. And I thought about it for a second. I realized I don't speak the language, and I have no idea how to do anything without a map and without being able to train. And I just had to go, like, hang out mm-hmm. at the apartment mm-hmm. for or half a day because <laughs> I would be completely funny, lost though. without my phone. There are whole classes of adventures that we could have, uh, that we stopped being able to have or almost stopped being able to have, which is kind of sad. You know, I, I look back on my time in, in France at that year and just think how cool it was to, to be really so far away from home and to be so independent and having to, get by in a place that is so not like home and you know it was cool i'm lucky i'm in the netherlands which is uh i mean they speak dutch but everybody here speaks english so i don't mm-hmm. have to have uh, any fear about language and it's a very small city amsterdam is very small uh geographically so if i get lost i pretty much just pick a direction and walk and either i end up back where i was or i realize i went too far in the, in the wrong way but everybody here speaks english so there's no mm-hmm. if i get lost i can just ask for directions the idea mm-hmm. of being in a place where uh, I don't know the language and I have no idea where I'm going, I've, I'd probably just end up sitting on the curb crying until the police came and picked me up. Mm. And you could ask them if they knew Brent. They've surely forgotten me by now. <laughs> Jailhouse sausages. <laughs>